0: Right now, two out of three of us are overweight or obese. We, you know, less than 1% or 10% are metabolically healthy. One out of five of our children. So- What happens when we take meat out is a lot of times we take protein out, and there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis. And it's essentially saying that we will overeat when, unless we get the amount of amino acids that we're looking for. So we're not only just looking for nutrients, amino acids specifically seem to shut off our appetite, reduce cravings, improve, you know, our ability to burn calories and improve body composition. So I just think it's really dangerous for us to take out the best quality sources of protein that we're having. And I think people are eating too little protein a lot of times anyway right now. And so removing meat, the highest quality protein source, because it has all of the available amino acids and it's highly bioavailable, meaning your body can use it very easily. I think that's, you know, one of the best levers you could pull is just increasing the percentage of really high quality protein in your diet in order to restore metabolic health. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with the co-founder of
1: Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures, Autumn Smith. Autumn holds a master's in holistic nutrition and is a certified eating psychology coach, as well as a certified FDN practitioner. Her passion for health began with her own struggles with irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety. Despite a career as a professional dancer and celebrity fitness trainer, Autumn's own health was in shambles. She stumbled upon the paleo diet in 2011, and within a month of beginning it, her health was completely transformed. Autumn then made it her mission to share the information she had learned with as many people as possible and launched Paleo Valley, an organic whole food supplement and paleo snack food company that prioritizes nutrient density and food quality. In 2018, she took things a step further and launched her second business with her husband, Wild Pastures, a regenerative pasture-based meat delivery service. Wild pastures make supporting sustainable agriculture and local small farms easy for consumers. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy the conversation between Paul and one of our podcast sponsors, Autumn Smith from Paleo Valley, as they discuss food, farming, meat,
2: and your future. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check Today, I have a very, very important topic to share with you. One of my favorite guests in the whole world, Autumn Smith, who is the founder of Paleo Valley, and Her and her husband have a a beautiful restaurant called Wild Pastures Burgers, where they give you the very best meat that can be raised on earth and feed you well. And she's always also got her Wild Pastures meat delivery system, which is all farmed regeneratively and with organic principles. So uh, Autumn, welcome back to Living 4D. It's lovely to have you.
0: Thank you, Paul. You're always one of my favorite people to talk to. I'm just really thrilled to be here. I was excited all morning.
2: Thank you. I've been excited too. So, And also, again, thank you for sponsoring the podcast. Autumn and Paleo Valley are a key sponsor of the podcast. So everybody raise your hands and clap. Say thank you, Autumn, for supporting the podcast. She's one of the few people that makes this podcast possible, and I love her for it.
0: Yeah, and you are so instrumental in me even getting into this space, and so it just it kind of brings everything full
2: circle, and so it's an honor. Thank you. So, Autumn and I both recently read an article by Dr. Mercola, which is I think is a very important article for everybody to read, which you can find at Mercola.com. It's titled "What's Really Behind the Plan to Redesign, Redesign Our Food System." And the article was loaded with information that is both sad and shocking, yet didn't surprise me and probably didn't surprise Autumn either. And when you consider that the food system has been in a progressive state of degeneration and corporate takeover since World War II, which has worsened since the COVID pandemic started, and then you consider what Bill Gates is up to, the Rockefeller Institution's up to, um, and all you got to do is just do a little research on what the Rockefeller Foundation has done to. Uh, medicine, which was to get rid of everything natural, holistic. And we saw that extended right through Anthony Fauci during the COVID uh, issue. It's clear that they're weaponizing the food system and they're setting it up so everybody will be tracked and monitored 24-7. And they will be doing things like Dictating to you what you can and cannot eat, what a healthy diet is, and their idea of a healthy diet is a long ways from healthy. And they will control your funds and they will even lock you out of stores so that you cannot buy meat, for example, if they think that you've already eaten too much, and a long list of other things that are extremely dangerous and destructive and are completely antagonistic to common sense health information. and they will also limit your ability to travel, your ability to get gas, your ability to basically do anything. So as we explore and talk about all the things that we're going to talk about today, autumn, feel free to comp- uh, comment where you feel any of the kind of stuff going on with the uh, Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, Rockefeller Foundation, Or any of the other stuff that's misleading people um, is important to mention in regard to the overall discussion because (laughs) I think the reason you're having to do this information or you have chose to is because you realize people are getting terribly misled. Is that fair enough?
0: Oh, yeah. It's really unfortunate. I had this experience the other day where one of my friends came to me and said her eight-year-old daughter was at school and had friends who said she couldn't be part of their club if she ate meat. And you hear that mainstream media, (laughs) this message is loud and persuasive. And so if in fact what's happening in that article is true, then it is a very scary scenario, like you stated, for the first reason, because what most people today believe to be healthy isn't actually that healthy, right? So 1980, we had our dietary guidelines come out and we've seen our rates of obesity and chronic disease increase since that point in time. And then we have things like the Food Compass rating system that came out of tufts university which they spoke about in this article that rated foods according to their healthfulness on a scale of one to 100 and we have you know chocolate covered almonds at 78 and um you know cereals like cheerios and frosted mini wheats in the 80s and then beef and ground and like cheddar cheese in the 20s basically saying that Processed foods are more helpful. And this is, this was conducted by one of our most powerful and influential nutritional researchers today. Then we have the global burden of disease, right? Saying that essentially from 2017 to 2019, they've changed their stance on red meat specifically, that it is 36 times more dangerous and that the safe level of red meat intake is zero. And so when we have these policies put into motion because of these kinds of, um, articles and publications. It's a really scary scenario for our children, I think, because there can be transgenerational impacts and nutrient deficiencies, which we'll get into. So having someone else and specifically our organizations, our government, and these types of organizations determining what is healthy for our bodies is is, is actually very scary. And the second thing is a lot of... Bill Gates is one of the largest... Like farmland owners in the country these days, over 200,000 acres across 18 different states. And what happens when people buy up farmland and think that the solution is this reductionistic solution with agriculture and GMOs and creating processed meats is we lose resilience, right? We lose our rural communities and we lose control over our own food supply. And so we have this illusion in our country where we have all of this choice and so many different options, but like 10 different companies actually control all the food that we're consuming. They just buy up these little mom and pop type organizations and companies make it look like like you have choice and in the meat sector specifically, we have 85% of the meat packaging industry being controlled by simply four organizations. And we saw in the pandemic, right? Where if we have our food supply cut off, we are very vulnerable. And so we need to empower rural communities and farmers. When we had the country at its inception, we have about half the people involved in food production. And right now, if we give these billionaires power over our food supply, again, we become very, very, very vulnerable. And the last thing that really scares me about this transition is that we are in the midst of a climate crisis and a environmental crisis where topsoil is being lost, sometimes at 13 times the rate, depends on the region, that it's actually being produced. And We need agriculture that is going to prioritize that and restore that. Over 98% of our calories comes from that, comes from the topsoil, right? Our biodiversity comes from the topsoil, our ability to hold water and kind of reduce floods and droughts and wildfires, this is all a function of the health of our soil. Our antibacterial agents come from the soil, our medicine. And so if we are to destroy our topsoil because we are choosing to engage or allow corporations to engage in agriculture that destroys our topsoil, I think we're in for a very rude awakening.
2: Yes. And and, um, it's interesting, too. I may have mentioned this last time we did a podcast together, but in my library, I've got a lot of books that were published, you know, all the way back 40s, 50s, 60s, and looking at a lot of these issues. And one of the books, uh, I think it's called The Wheel of Health, if I remember right, probably from shortly after the Second World War, maybe late 50s. But it showed that during the Second World War, when there was food shortages and food lines, that 50% of Americans started gardens in their backyards. Yeah. So they could eat and every category of disease measured went down radically, significantly. But after the war was over and the food processing machines were running again, then the disease rates climbed right back up to where they were prior to the war. Yeah. So there's a lot of important stuff. The other thing is none of these reports, including the article that we were referring to by Mercola, and all the information they give, such as the foods they're recommending and the scale of how good they are, they don't ever distinguish commercially farmed food from organically farmed food. So, you know, from that perspective, yes, red meat is toxic and poisonous if you're eating commercially farmed food, but that creates the illusion that all red meat or meat in general is unhealthy, which is completely wrong And I've brought this up in many podcasts and conversations with experts and debate panels. And the fact is, is that only four to six percent of the food eaten in the world is organic, real organic. And only four to six percent of the world's food supply is farmed organically, um, as I cited in the chapter that I wrote for my new book that I shared with you. And so. You know. When it comes to vegetarianism, what a lot of the vegetarians and vegans don't realize is that they're in the population, and the same statistics from what I can see apply to them, meaning that about 94% of people that are vegetarians or vegans are eating from commercially farmed fields, and therefore they are contributing to the very destruction of the topsoil and the ecosystem, and it's very well documented in the research that that bird traffic goes down significantly uh, over commercially farmed fields due to poisons and that animals are infected with the chemicals and end up getting cancer and all sorts of diseases that are completely unnatural. The microorganism populations are destroyed. The soil is destroyed. And to, to extend that a little further, research shows that on an organic farm and in, in nature, Four to six percent of topsoil is humus, and humus for the listeners is the dead matter from the decay of plants. Um, It's the natural stuff that falls onto the soil, such as the leaves falling off the trees in fall. And humus has a great capacity to, it's not only the food for the microorganism, but it stores water very well. One square foot of humus will hold eight pounds of water, which is one gallon. But commercially farmed fields rank, have been measured between 0.1 and 1% humus. So there's a big difference between 0.1 and 1% and 4 to 6% humus in the topsoil. Because if you're putting the microorganisms on a diet of 0.1 to 1% humus, and then you're poisoning them chemically, The sad part is the only organisms that can survive that environment turn out to be very pathogenic to the human consumer. So these are very important things for people in the public to realize because they look at a lot of these documents. They don't understand anything about farming. They don't understand food production. And they don't really have the, the background knowledge to distinguish real science from purchase science. They don't know the difference between a science and a technologist that works for a corporation proposing as a scientist. And so people start believing all this stuff. But what's sad for me is while they're believing all this stuff and eating vegan or vegetarian or doing whatever their kick is, the majority of them get sicker and sicker yet still keep promoting whatever their fat of the month diet is or vegetarianism or whatever. For me, it has nothing to do with, Whether you're a vegetarian or not, if it's keeping you healthy and you feel good, then you're on the right diet. But if the quality of the food you're eating is toxic and poisonous and malnourished, what seems like a good diet for a month or two can end up being the source of illness or disease within a few years. And I've had too many sick vegetarians as patients to even count. And I don't think any of them were eating organic. They were all just eating commercially raised produce. And the number one cause of people saying they're going to be a vegetarian is that they don't want to kill animals, yet here they are spending money on, on a farming system that's destroying nature and animals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they actually
0: did this um, analysis, I think it was Michael Archer. If you are investing in you know conventional agriculture, um, you are killing 25 times more sentient beings. This was specifically in, I think, wheat and other grains than you would be. Um, per kilogram of usable protein than for um, s- sort of an animal based or kind of agriculture and like you said yeah if you're destroying the topsoil we have a very thin layer and operate or life operates because of that thin layer and so any type of agriculture that isn't taking that into consideration is not working with nature instead working against nature which is a lot of times what happens when we're trying to get super efficient
2: yeah we are just compromising uh, the future of food yeah you know the that brings up an important point. This concept of being super efficient—it really isn't efficient. Right. It's an illusion of efficiency. Um, how efficient is it to destroy the topsoils and to wipe out countless species in nature and to put so many chemicals into the ocean and the rivers and the waterways that we now have uh, myriads of creatures, from frogs to lizards to fish, that have disrupted sex organs. Um, there's been research showing the shrinkage of penises and testicles, not only in human beings, but in, uh, animals. There's hermaphrodites now being produced because the, uh, hormonal systems are so disrupted by endocrine disruptors from pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides. Um, then you, then you say, okay, well, we're making all this food very efficiently, but how much malnutrition and disease is that causing and mental emotional disorders, depression, anxiety, suicide? How much drug use is that leading to both recreationally and medically? How much toxicity is that creating? How much disease is that creating? So this concept of efficient farming is very dangerous and it's one of the excuses Bill Gates gives to protect the world against global warming and all that stuff. And I've studied uh, a number of experts now that are meteorologists and experts at tracking the weather. The last guy I studied an a, a interview with that was a very comprehensive interview has been tracking weather patterns since 1840 and shared the details of, it, of his analysis. And he said the world is not getting hotter. In fact, it was a lot hotter in the 40s and the 50s than it is now and that it's the same story. It's scientists manipulating the data to trick people to get grants and for billionaires to start putting all these taxes on us and fuel their pockets with money. But in actual fact, I've got two very solid interviews with highly skilled, highly respected meteorologists and experts on weather showing the data conclusively. And I also saw data from NASA showing that every planet in the solar system is heating up at the same rate and they showed that every one of the planets in our solar system has gone up something around, around 1 to 1.5 degrees in the last, I don't remember the span of years. But they showed that there's a warming trend throughout the entire solar system, not just on our planet. And so, you know, this is important for a number of reasons. But the key point that I am trying to drive at is that they're using the excuse of farming causing global warming to shut down organic farmers. And as you probably are aware, Bill Gates is trying to make it illegal to farm animals. And he tried to pass those laws first in Oregon. And so we've got so much pirating going on by rich corporations and individuals that really have no concern for the planet. In fact, if you track the investments of Bill Gates, which you can see in the book, Oneness Versus 1% by Vandana Shiva, Uh, He actually has set it up to make money off of everything for, for better or for worse, and he is profiteering off all of this manipulation and lies, but the point is, one of the things that he says that's the reason for what he's doing is that we can't feed the number of people on the planet through the commercial farming system, and that organic farming won't do it either. But I've seen very good research by experts on organic farming, and they claimed in the research that the earth could handle approximately 14 billion people without taxing the resources of the earth to the point that we're extracting more than we can regenerate if we use sound organic regenerative farming principles. But if we keep doing what we're doing, yes, we will have a problem feeding everybody. But we'll also have a problem keeping nature alive because we're killing the entire planet doing it. Hello, everybody. March is the final month for the next intake of Czech Academy students. Your applications will be accepted until the last day of March. Czech Institute CEO Gavin Jennings and I created the Czech Academy to provide a multidisciplinary integrated learning and teaching system for the mastery of holistic health. The Czech Academy teaches each student how to assess each client physically, emotionally, and mentally, and develop a program that supports them in achieving their dream. You not only learn the essentials of diet and lifestyle modification, but how to design corrective and high-performance exercise programs scientifically. As I suspect you are all aware, there has never been a bigger need for truly holistic health professionals than there is today. So why not learn to master your own health and well-being and make a great living helping others create health, freedom, and live their dreams? The Czech Academy offers anyone genuinely interested in learning, practicing, and teaching holistic health principles and practices as an approach. The Czech Academy is ideal for anyone genuinely interested in learning, practicing, and teaching holistic health principles and practices. The Czech Academy is ideal for exercise professionals, allied medical professionals, therapists, or doctors interested in mastering the core principles of holistic health. You will learn all the assessment methods, program design skills, coaching, and behavioral change skills needed to enhance your existing practice or start in a fresh holistic health career. Czech Academy students are taught by the most skilled holistic health professionals in the world and supported by mentors and student forums. Scholarships are available, so apply now. We have one scholarship per region. We have the North America region, the South Pacific region, and the UK-Europe region. Applications are welcome from new students and existing students within the Czech education system that are ready to join the Academy and achieve mastery. To register for the Czech Academy, go to chekacademy.com. Once again, to register for the Czech Academy, go to chekacademy.com. We look forward to receiving your application by the last day of March. If we work together, we can bring real healing to the world. Was there something you wanted to say before I moved on?
0: Yeah, I think I was just going to say, yes, exactly what you're saying. I loved um, the book oneness versus 1%, but just that our current methods of agriculture, they're un you can't even argue they're unsustainable. Something has to change. And also what you're talking about with the full accounting of the costs of our conventional system, they're not often done, like you are saying, with the illness that comes, with the environmental pollution that comes out of it. Like all of these things are not being considered when you're paying at the cash register, even though we are experiencing and suffering from them as a result of our purchase. So its it's not cheap food. It's actually unaffordable when you do do a true cost accounting. And the last thing is just like you're saying, these corporations are focusing on carbon, right? Yeah, because and well, we can dismantle this later, um, because some types of animal agriculture are even better than what they're proposing. But this myopic view of carbon, like you're saying, misses the bigger picture, misses the story about biodiversity, the story about water holding capacity, and just the story of the cycles of nature. And so yes, I just wanted to agree with you on all of those counts.
2: Yes. Now, one of the things I wanted to to start with as we dive into this podcast together is you've got an a, an amazing docu series and i've been fortunate to see the first episode it's called rethink meat and it's absolutely excellent i i was just you know bordering on orgasm as i watched it it was you know it's just so much truth and it's so well produced and so clear and i loved how you got footage from the era that you're talking about you know, so you see some good black and white footage from the 40s, 50s. uh, And and you really get a sense of how our beliefs and ideas have been heavily manipulated by the powers that be over time. And, you know, there's an old saying, never judge a man or woman by the creed he or she professes, but by the life he or she leads. Mm. The point I'm driving at here is, Here we've been sold all this bill of garbage and all the things we're going to talk about from low-fat diets to meat is bad, and every one of these people that's behind it is using the uh, credibility of the medical system in some way, shape, or form to validate. Yet, as you know, the rates of chronic diseases and depression and anxiety and suicide have been rising and rising and rising while they're telling us this is the best thing to do for our health that sounds just too much like COVID to me. You know, it's, it's like, okay, when are people going to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that it's time to start taking responsibility for yourself and supporting small farmers and regenerative farmers? Because if we don't start putting money in the hands of the people that are caring for the planet, we, you know, we got a real short shelf life. Absolutely.
0: And one of my friends, Seth Itzkan, he, um, founded Soil for Climate, he had a picture in one of his studies or one of his talks. And he's had a picture of Bill Gates and then a farmer. And he just said, who do you trust with your future? Who do you think has your Amen. best interests and the interest of the planet at
2: at their who, heart? And who do you trust with your children?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Because yeah. that is our future. And that's not looking good. I mean, you got kids no. being born with arteriosclerosis right out of the womb and I saw a research report recently, the average child today is born with 126 toxic chemicals in its body right out of the womb. I mean, this is crazy stuff. But before I get too excited on all the craziness, (laughs) could you just give us a quick overview of the episodes in Rethink Meat? Yes.
0: And we thought this was really important because we had whenever we have people unsubscribe from our, you know, businesses, we always ask them why. And a lot of people were saying they needed to go vegan for the planet or for their health. And we realized, oh my goodness, we have a lot of work to do. And so the first episode, which you watched, and I thank you for your compliments, is just about why we've been taught to fear meat. And it's a fascinating story and so many different influences. And like you said, we had old footage and we had Footage from Belinda Fetke, who knows exactly where the origins of this story were created. And then the second episode is just basically, does meat, saturated fat, cholesterol, do they cause disease? Because a lot of people, Paul, your audience might be well educated, but not a lot of people understand that. The third one is about the history and our evolution and why meat and the rest of animals were really important in catalyzing and our evolution and creating humans as we know them today. And also the benefits of meat and why meat is different than you know vegetarian sources of protein. And then the fourth episode is about the detriments, potential detriments of vegan diets. My like Paul, I I think people should be able to eat whatever diet they want to eat. I just want people, parents, to be uh, educated on the shortcomings that can happen when you're consuming a vegan diet during pregnancy or while you're lactating or you know for your children. And then the other one is about the environmental case for. And against meat and the nuances in the different types of agriculture. And the last one is about what my dissertation is on, and that's are there nutritional differences that matter for human health depending on how an animal is raised? And we're gonna talk a little bit about tricky labels and how to actually identify a type of meat that's good for your health, good for the planet.
2: Yes. And while you were talking there, Two books that I've studied quite thoroughly that are extremely important for people to read if they really want to understand the history and politics behind all this stuff, which you may or may not be familiar with. One of them, they're both by Harvey Levenstein. One's called Revolution at the Table. Mm. Um, and the second one's called Paradox of Plenty. But he documents the entire history going all the way back to, I believe, about 1840 and shows some shocking stuff that the government uh, was behind and I I won't get into it now because it'll slow us down too much but it's they're very well written books and I remember you know years ago when I was reading these books I was on airplanes and I was getting so pissed off reading this stuff I just wanted to stand up and tell everybody in the airplane do you realize what the hell's been going on and what is going on you know of course you're sitting on an airplane watching them pass out poison to everybody you know (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I will definitely check those books out. I wasn't familiar with them. So thank you, Paul.
2: Oh, I think you'll find them fascinating. I would, because you're doing so much research, I would look through the table of contents just to see what chapters might be most relevant to what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, each of them's probably 250, 350 pages, but they're very well done. He's a professor of something to do with food. I can't remember what. But they're really good historical exposés of the transitions we've made, and and he, he say, shows some things about the government, especially during the Second World War, that'll blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Autumn, we've gone from an, uh, the entire period of human human evolution in nature, where meat was an essential staple in most regions of the world, to being sold on several dangerous ideas that ultimately led to massive escalations in chronic disease, as we've been discussing. To to begin with, where did the idea that meat is dangerous to health come from? Paul, such
0: a good question, and there's several origins, as I alluded to before. One of the main ones was actually uh, it's spiritual, right? Seventh Day Adventists, right? Uh, it's it's a very large and influential organization, even if people don't understand that they have. I, I used to
2: be a Seventh. I, my parents had to send me to a Seventh Day Adventist private school because I got kicked out of both public schools. So <laughs> okay. I spent I spent a year in a Seventh Day Adventist school. Trust me, I know that system inside and out, and. It is not a place I would want anyone to have to be. And I'll just interject and say, look, yeah. I've seen several documentaries promoting vegetarianism that keep referring to the study on Seventh-day Adventists. Yes. But what's hilarious is everybody they interview that's a Seventh-day Adventist is obese. Oh. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen that particular part, but but also there's a lot of talk about how they are much healthier than the population, the general population. But when you compare them to Mormons who have a similar lifestyle, right, those really strong ties to their community and other lifestyle variables, they're not drinking. And there isn't a difference in terms of, um, you know, their health outcomes. But that's fascinating that you were actually (laughs) educated in in their system. And I'm sure there's a lot of great people in the system. But Ellen G. White was kind of the prophetess of this church, and she had visions from God that told her that a Garden of Eden diet or a appropriate diet for humans is, you know, nuts, seeds, fruit, you know, very little, if any, meat. And she believed that meat specifically aroused passions, sinful desires in children, mm-hmm. and that you should eat, you know, find ways to eliminate it completely from your diet. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg actually founded and started the processed food industry. He was a student of Ellen G. White's and he wanted to help her create those alternative food sources. So he flaked corn and wheat, Kellogg's and this was essentially a way to keep kids from masturbating. And so (laughs) it was, I mean, if you talk to, are you familiar with Belinda Fetke,
2: Paul? Not Belinda Fetke, but I've studied uh, Kellogg a lot and he's, (laughs) quite an interesting character.
0: Okay. Well, I want to tell your audience about Belinda Fetke because Dr. Gary Fetke, he's an orthopedic surgeon down in Tasmania, and he was working specifically on diabetes. um, And he would perform these amputations and just see his patients grow sicker and sicker. And so what he did was tell his patients that they should cut down on their sugar, right? Just sugar, right? He didn't even go anything crazy. And the diabetic, or I'm sorry, the dietitian on staff at that hospital turned him into the medical board. And as a result, he went through four years of litigation. Jesus. Um, Yeah. And his wife sat there with him on his side and watched him for years and years, just sharing the science, right? The really high quality research around low carbohydrate diets, specifically for people with diabetes. And she started to realize this is not about the education. This is not about the research. This was something else, and that's what led her to dive into these underpinnings and where these ideas came from. The Seventh Day Adventist groups, and and also Dr. John Harvey Kellogg created the world's first um, like burger replacement as well. It was called Protos, and so. There's a lot of influences. Even today, one of the experts on the Dietary Guidelines Committee of 2020 was a Seventh day Adventist. And like you said, they have a lot of hospitals. They actually founded the dietetics community and profession, um, Lena Cooper. And so we have religion and spiritual ideas about the imperative meat. That was one huge influence. And then we have entrepreneurial interests. Um, William Procter and James Gamble, they had this surplus of cottonseed oil, which was before this being used to lubricate machinery during the Industrial Revolution. And then they realized, wow, I've got a lot of this, what can we do with this? And with the advent of something called hydrogenation, where they take a liquid fat and make it into a solid fat, they realized it kind of looked like lard. And so without any substantiation of the health benefits or detriments of Crisco is what they created. They just mm. launched this massive marketing campaign towards, you know, American women and immigrants. That this was pure and that it would build character in your children. And this marketing campaign was extremely successful. And it became one of the main cooking fats that we were using as opposed to tallow and lard, which we were using before this time. And unfortunately, the way that it was originally created, it was 50% trans fat, which we now know creates hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide. So that was business. And then we had the jungle, right? It was a book written in 1906, I believe by Upton Sinclair. It was a fictional novel about the meatpacking industry in Chicago, but it had a really profound impact on meat sales for 20 years after. And then if we move up into about the mid uh, 20th century, we had research by Ansel Keys. He was Mm a charismatic and aggressive kind of researcher. I'm sure your audience is familiar with, but he had the idea that dietary fat was driving an increased risk uh, of cardiovascular disease uh, mm-hmm. from animals and etc. And so when President Eisenhower had a heart attack and no one really understood why, Ansel so keys his research kind of captured the narrative around that. And he also um, became uh, on the advisory board for a nutrition committee, actually, the American Heart Association was able to get his ideas endorsed by them. And so we had that. Now we know when you really looked into his data, he kind of cherry picked the countries. And even if he didn't know that he was doing it, when you added in the 22 countries for which the data was actually available, the relationship that he found between saturated fat and heart disease was much weaker. And they actually found that total fat from animals and protein from animals had a decreased risk of overall mortality. And then we have the sugar industry, right? In the 1960s, there were some executives from the sugar industry that wanted to kind of pin uh, the blame onto uh, animal fats rather than sugar for the rising rates of heart disease. And they, I think the modern equivalent of or fifty $50,000 at the time to create this review, exonerating sugar and blaming animal fats. And then more recently, of course, we have a lot of interests for processed foods. You can take, you know, corn, soy, wheat, and turn them into so many different foods. There's a huge pro- or margin on those products. And so We have processed food manufacturers, you know, fake meat manufacturers really invested in this message because they can make a lot of money on it. We have a misleading environmental argument, right? And we'll talk about the nuances there and also animal rights activists. So all of these different interests are kind of profiting or benefiting either, you know, ideologically from the idea that meat is harmful, when, as you said, it actually made us human. I talked to Dr. Bill Schindler; he's a world-renowned archaeologist. You can see it if you watch the docu series, and he talks about how it wasn't even just meat that made us human, but when we had tools and were able to access the blood, the fat, the organs, that was the most explosive growth in our brains, and that was what eventually led to creating to making us human. And of course, there are other, you know, healthy cultures, indigenous cultures that use animal products and revere them without modern day diseases. So it just doesn't make sense that an ancient food is creating this modern disease epidemic. It's far more likely that it's processed foods. (laughs) And so, yeah, and it's also really, really dangerous because a lot of us are nutrient deficient anyway, which I'm sure we'll talk about.
2: Hi everybody, I'm super excited to tell you about Organifi Gold Chocolate, something that is very tasty and that my kids love. Organifi Gold Chocolate is a superfood hot chocolate healthy enough to drink every day, in fact, multiple times a day if you want. In fact, unlike most chocolate drinks that stimulate you and may disrupt your sleep if consumed after about four in the afternoon, my kids drink it right before bed, and unlike chocolate in general, it actually helps them sleep. Organifi Gold Chocolate doesn't include blood sugar spiking ingredients like other hot chocolate alternatives, leaving you feeling good about indulging in this healthy chocolate beverage. It was formulated to deliver the same amazing benefits as Organifi Gold. Some of the key benefits of Organifi Chocolate Gold, or Gold Chocolate, is that it has 10 superfoods for rest and relaxation. 100% USD organic certified, tastes delicious in warm water and amazing with milk or milk alternatives, promotes and supports relaxation so you can fall asleep with ease, supports a better night's rest so you wake up refreshed, and promotes a healthier response to stress and gives calming support. As you know, what most people reach for when they want something super tasty and enjoyable is generally not healthy, but that's not the case with Organified Gold Chocolate, which is USDA certified organic, certified gluten-free, and certified glyphosate residue-free, which is very important, dairy-free, which is great for guys like me, soy-free, which is very important, vegan, non-GMO, and clinically proven ingredients, 100% organic whole food, which means... It's great for everyone. Save 20% on your purchase of Organifi Gold Chocolate by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's CHECK20 on checkout. Go to organifi.com, dot com forward slash CHECK20. And again, for your 20% living 4D discount, use the code CHECK20 in all caps. Enjoy Organifi Gold Chocolate. You know, have you ever seen or read the book "The Fat of the Land" by Villamar Stephenson? No. Well, he was the first white man to live with the Eskimos, and oh yes, I'm sorry, I
0: I didn't read the book, but I have. We actually feature some of his footage in the docu series.
2: Yeah, great, because you know he uh, I can't remember what his profession was, but it, it was something academic that was relevant to. The study he was doing, but he went and lived with the Eskimos for seven years and ate nothing but fat and meat with them. And his health got better and better every year. So then he went back and he was in a meeting with a bunch of medical doctors who just absolutely thought he was crazy. <laughs> so he challenged them. He said, I will let you lock me in jail and feed me nothing but meat for one year. And you can do an appraisal of my blood, my health, whatever you want to measure before and after. And so they took him up on the challenge. And one of his, if I remember right, medical doctor friends felt sorry for him. So he said, I'll go with you. And and the two of them both ended up getting put into a cell for one year and eating nothing but flesh foods. And both of them came out of the hospital with either no decrease in health or improved health markers. And the other thing I wanted to throw in there, having been in a Seventh-day Adventist church system, almost all the stuff they eat, all these fake meat burgers, they're all soy-based. And as you know, soy brings our estrogens way, way up. And for those of you that are soy fanatics, there's a great book called The Whole Soy Story by Kayla Daniel, which is excellent, right? Yes. And that's an important book.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And also on the last thing I didn't mention, but there was a 2022 analysis that showed that in the last one to 200 years, our consumption of red meat, the most demonized animal products actually declined by about 21% as had like um, dairy fluid and cream dairy by 48%. Lard is down by 78%. But what's up is Really up is vegetable oils by something over 300% and grains by 41%. And processed foods are now 60% of our modern diet. So, yeah, it just doesn't make sense that. And,
2: you know, I'll you just, just share something personal. Anytime I eat any of these vegetable oils, sunflower oil, you know, all of them, they just mess my body up. And it's really interesting because, you know, even if, if Penny buys organic. Potato chips, let's say, and they might be cooked in vegetable oil, which is pretty common, or coconut or palm or avocado oil. Oftentimes they're using what looks to be good oils based on standard health information, but there's some kind of degeneration that's happening. And I'll tell you how I know this. The first thing that happens is my skin reacts and I start getting pimples or blemishes all over my skin like overnight. Hmm. And I've tested this, and then then what happens is I have I'll ask Penny, Angie, or our chef to make me some homemade potato chips, and she'll cook them either in it could be uh, duck fat is one thing we use it could be um, olive oil if she does them slower and not too high of heat. Well, we've experimented. I never have any bad reactions at all if we make homemade potato chips. But as soon as I eat even the best stuff I can buy out of a bag, my body completely reacts like it's being poisoned. Wow! So I, I, think, I think, you know, as we were discussing before we started the recording, there's so much trickery with the organic certification that unless you know where that food's come from, it doesn't matter what's on the label anymore. You've really got to do some research in order to, A, you know, when they – They charge more money for anything that's labeled as organic, but oftentimes it's not actually better for you at all. It's just, uh, you know, trickery by label. Point being is people really have to start getting involved and looking into their food because food will either make you healthy or kill you. It's the, you know, that's your choice. Yes, a hundred percent. I receive, I actually get digestive
0: issues, mainly from canola oil. And, And like you said, there's a lot of different reasons why that might be, high levels of processing, and then the fats they create that are more prevalent, the omega-6 fatty acids are far more less stable, prone to oxidation, and on and on and on. But yes, we absolutely do have a choice and have to make (laughs) that choice every single day and really understand where our food's coming from. I think that's the main
2: takeaway. And if I remember right, canola is actually rapeseed oil, isn't it?
0: Yeah. It was originally called. Which is not
2: actually a food crop. It's an industrial crop and it's not regulated by food regulations. Hmm. And I remember when Whole Foods first became a chain, they had really good stuff in there. And then all of a sudden they were putting everything into canola oil. Even If you go to the food bar where they serve hot food, everything in the store was just in canola oil. I'm like, what the hell is this? This is. They're they're selling this as health food, but it's going to poison people's bodies. If I eat anything with canola oil, it's bad news. Yeah. What are the benefits of meat for health? And can you contrast them with the beliefs and challenges with the now so popular vegan diets and the real issues with them? I'm sure we've touched on some of this, but I'd love to hear what else you want to throw into the mix here.
0: Yeah, well, just basically to say that, you know, right now we... Two out of three of us are overweight or obese. We, you know, less than 1% or 10% are metabolically healthy. One out of five of our children. So what happens when we take meat out is a lot of times we take protein out. And there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis. And it's essentially saying that we will overeat when unless we get the amount of you know, mass, amino acids that we're looking for. So we're not only just looking for nutrients, amino acids specifically seem to shut off our appetite, reduce cravings, improve, you know, our ability to burn calories and improve body composition. So I just think it's really dangerous for us to take out the best quality sources of protein that we're having. And I think people are eating too little protein a lot of times anyway, right now. And so removing meat the highest quality protein source because it has all of the available amino acids and it's highly bioavailable, meaning your body can use it very easily. I think that's, you know, one of the best levers you could pull is just increasing the percentage of really high quality protein in your diet in order to restore metabolic health. Actually a really personal account quickly. My dad ended up in, um, The hospital the other day with uncontrolled diabetes. And, um, you know, right, it it wasn't good. And what they were trying to teach him in the hospital (laughs) was unfortunately not how I would have approached things, you know, allowing him 60 carbohydrates per meal, I came in, he had a soda, he was also given an orange juice, his blood sugar numbers were in like the 700s. It, It was, I mean, wow. But what I did was have him put on a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. And in 10 days, we were able to actually get him off of insulin. And it was because we did, we prioritized protein, right? He ate protein rich foods anyway. So metabolically protein is really, really important. And then second is there's two billion people worldwide suffering from nutrient deficiencies, vitamin B12, you know, iron, um, major nutrient deficiencies worldwide. And while we do have publications like the Food Compass that will try to sell us the idea that cereals are more nutrient dense than animal products, there's a research group headed by Dr. Ty Beal. And he did a recent analysis called priority micronutrient density in foods. And what he, he cr- prioritized the criteria of which nutrients are we most deficient in worldwide, which is not you know, the usual criteria. And he also took into account bioavailability, meaning how well is our body able to access those nutrients. And nine out of 10 of the top foods were animal foods, liver, spleen, small dried fish, goat, beef, heart, kidney. And there was dark leafy greens was one of the plant animal based foods. So the most nutrient-dense foods are animal products. Sometimes they even contain nutrients that we can't get anywhere else, like vitamin B12 and DHA and creatine and carnitine and on and on and on. So I think as a tool for metabolic, restoring metabolic health, protein is essential, and also overcoming nutrient deficiencies, which about 30% of us are nutrient deficient. I think that's very, very low estimate because we also know that the nutrient content in our food is at a lowest point in history. And so taking meat out of the diet It is a little bit scary to me, especially when it comes to children or people who are pregnant, but it's been shown to result in nutrient deficiencies. One account was, you know, upwards of 70% of vegetarians and 90% of vegans were deficient in vitamin B12. And sometimes the consequences of vitamin B12 deficiency are irreversible. I've heard accounts of, you know, very serious psychiatric issues, you know, not being able to be treated with any medications, even electroconvulsive therapy. If when that person gets B12 injections, these symptoms reside. There's also children who have irreversible cognitive delays and developmental issues, because maybe they were breastfed by a vegan mother. And sometimes even when you supplement afterwards, it's, it's too late. And then we have zinc, you know, vegans vegetarians require more zinc because zinc is inhibited by phytate plant compounds and then we have iron and on and on there's a lot of different nutrient deficiencies we have an increased risk of hip fractures we have an increased risk of you know depression anxiety and self harm in, in people who don't eat meat that that is higher according to one piece of research we have you know the, there's a litany there's just many many well demonstrated issues as a result of the nutrient deficiencies that can happen for certain people when they choose a vegan diet. Now, I do think that some people might be able to get get away with it. Paul, I know that you did it for a certain period of time. I think if you're healthy, if you are breastfed, if you have, you know, all of these different resources, if you supplement really strategically, that it could be something that you do for a short period of time. But I do think in certain instances, developmentally, you know, pregnancy, children, I think it's a really dangerous idea to be pushing uh, a meat-free diet, especially like in New York City public schools, they're doing vegan Mondays now, in addition to meatless, <laughs> or meatless Mondays and then vegan Fridays. And so a lot of times people, kids who don't have access to really high quality food and would otherwise get it in school are not even being allowed access there. That's the main crux of my message in addition to the environment is just, I think for our children and this generation, we have to start waking up around the idea that meat is is not the culprit
2: here. Yeah, there's a couple of things I'd like to throw on the table in addition to that. One, people forget that protein or amino acids, when they come by way of plants, are inextricably woven into the fiber of the plant. So if you don't have the digestive capacity and the enzyme Availability to dismantle the fiber of the plant, you cannot extract the proteins out of it. Um, I was a vegetarian for six months with my mother when she joined the Self-realization Fellowship. I was twelve at the time, but I got—I became anemic and I was so weak and tired all the time. I couldn't do anything. I was unable to even do my farm work. So, you know, being a very athletic child, my mother knew something was wrong. So she took me to a naturopathic physician. He tested my blood and he said, this kid's anemic, looked at what I was eating. He said, take this kid home and feed him a steak. You'll be fine. So I went home and started eating meat. And within three hours, I had my energy come back my head cleared up and I felt alive again. In my uh, late forties, my soul directed me to being a vegetarian for one year, which I didn't want to do. And every day I checked, every meal I said, do you, or should I eat meat? But this was for spiritual development reasons. So just like shaman do what are called dietas, where they eat specific plants to engage the spirit of the plant and to go through a process that's more than I can describe in a couple of minutes, I was going through a lot of deep healing work and deep spiritual exploration and I found that being on the vegetarian diet really enhanced my clairvoyance, my capacity for inner vision and subtle energy perception. But I will also tell you, I lost 26 pounds of muscle and I was watching myself just shrink day by day. And no matter how hard I trained, I could not put muscle on. And my, and I started having to take longer rest periods between um, workouts because my body just wasn't recovering. So I I literally felt like it was triggering a rapid aging process. Hmm. And then after one year, my soul said, go ahead, eat some fish and eggs with your vegetables now. But I immediately started putting muscle on as soon as the fish and the eggs were in my diet. And then uh, after six months, my soul said, go back to your diet. And and I, I share this because it's important for people to know when I'm talking about vegetarian diets, I have lived as a committed vegetarian and I've monitored carefully what it did to my body. And I think all food as medicine can be used medicinally. I think a vegetarian diet can be extremely good for detoxification. It can be good as a part of a protocol for healing various types of diseases. And I've used this type of work in my career many, many times as I have fasting and many other things. But when you look at the issue of getting, um, fiber, breaking fiber down and getting protein out of plants, you know, one, there's not near as much protein in plants, um, for that's an important thing. two, a lot of those diets are also extremely low fat. So people are starving for fat nutrition and, and fat soluble nutrition. Um, The other thing that um, we have to consider is Aaron Fried Pfeiffer showed all the way back in the late 50s that the average person's digestive enzyme profile was seriously uh, limited. In other words, they were having digestive trouble due to lack of enzymes from eating, which he tracked back to eating processed foods because people weren't eating enough raw foods to get enzymes in their diet, so it depleted the body of its enzyme stores. And he showed that by the age of about 32, everyone, almost everyone he tested was severely enzyme depleted and had a lot of digestive eliminative troubles because of it. So the point is, is if a person goes on a vegetarian diet and they already have depletion of their enzyme resources because they're not eating enough raw foods, they actually cannot break the food down. So it doesn't matter. See, one of the things that's wrong with this whole concept is a lot of the stuff that we're being told about vegetarian diets or diets in general is based on research and labs. It says, okay, this plant has this many grams of protein, this much nutrients, but that doesn't mean it's going to get into your bloodstream because everyone's digestive capacity is different and their genetics are different. And as I show in my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy?, If your parents come from anywhere in the world where the ground freezes in winter, you're not designed to run off of plants. Plants don't grow out of ice. So, you know, if you have anyone in your either parent that comes from where the ground freezes, it's almost a guarantee you've got to have meat in your diet because your body's not designed to extract protein out of plants efficiently.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's such an important point. And when you look at the nutrients too, in animal products versus the ones in plant products our bodies pretty much always prefer the ones in animals like retinol is vitamin a but beta carotene is the plant version but you need 12 units estimates vary in order to create one of retinol and then we have long chain omega-3 fatty acids which almost everyone is deficient in and we have the plant forms like alpha linoleic acid but the conversion to epa and dha and dpa are very low, like 5%. And it's even worse for DHA, which our brain needs. And so, yeah, it's important to take that into consideration. And then we have genetics. For some people, they can't do these conversions at all. And then, like you said, we have reduced digestive capacity, hypothyroidism, nutrient deficiencies that can inhibit
2: these conversions. Parasite and fungal infections. Exactly. It's just- Are rampant. Exactly. About I mean, 90% of the world population has both a parasite and fungal infection right now based on research. I have it right in my library. Yeah. Hi, everybody. You know, when I first tried Paleo Valley's essential electrolytes, I had a noticeable increase in energy and an improved sense of stability in my body. This really surprised me because I did not suspect that I needed electrolytes. My wife, Penny has been drinking a glass in the evening, eliminating the cramp she had been getting at night in her calves, and has been getting a more restful, uninterrupted sleep. Paleo Valley's essential electrolytes come in three flavors, orange, lemon-lime, and watermelon. Electrolytes improve electrical conductivity in our nervous system, improve our capacity to retain water, support us with essential minerals and trace minerals, supporting the regulation of our hormonal system, body systems, and helping with overall well-being. For athletes that train hard and get a good sweat, Paleo Valley's electrolytes can be the difference between a great workout and an average workout, the difference between crossing the finish line first or looking at butts and heels as you cross it. A combination of electrolytes and water was found to be most effective at preventing increased anxiety, fatigue, and headaches. Migraines and headaches in general can result from dehydration, low calcium and or magnesium, trace mineral deficiencies, and hormonal imbalances. So why resort to drugs and painkillers that ultimately do nothing to address the common causes of headache when you can drink Paleo Valley's essential electrolytes and support your body in many ways at the same time? And you can reduce or eliminate sugar cravings that often result from a lack of sodium while giving your body a wide variety of minerals and trace minerals to support it. Most electrolytes offered on the market use synthetic isolated nutrients that do not contain the full spectrum of compounds found in organic whole foods. Paleo Valley's essential electrolytes contains ancient unprocessed sea salt with dozens of minerals and over 60 trace minerals your body needs. You will also enjoy the pure organic coconut powder and the refreshing flavor and essential potassium it provides. Together, this is a perfect balance of ingredients that will not only give you improved capacity for exercise, better hydration, and reduce chances of unwanted headaches, muscle cramping, and premature fatigue, but will support your body with the essential minerals and trace minerals that help keep you balanced and in a state of well-being. Paleo Valley's essential electrolytes are also third-party tested to ensure purity in all ingredients. To get your essential electrolytes now, go to paleovalley.com, that's P-A-L-E-O valley.com, and save 15% on your purchase using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15. That's CHECK in all caps, 15. CHECK15 on checkout. My family and I use Paleo Valley's excellent products every day and love them, and I'm very confident you will too. One point I want to throw in before I forget to mention it, and in my series, The Honest Vegetarian, which those of you that are interested can listen to the first episode with Matthew Walden, who's a naturopathic and osteopathic physician and the head of education for the Czech Institute. Um, And then there's about five more episodes on uh, Chekiva, C-H-E-K-I-V-A.com, where you can find the rest of the Honest Vegetarian Series, which is probably the most comprehensive exploration of vegetarianism out there. And you can listen to it right on your phone or your audio device. But Matt Walden brought this up, you know, because one of the things that vegetarians use, and there was this recent documentary a couple of years ago that had Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of other people in it. It was really winding the whole, you've all got to go vegan thing up. And one of the things they did and I've seen done many times is they used the example that gorillas are vegetarians and look how much muscle they put on. So <laughs> that that's their excuse. But what Matt Walden brought up and I, I think it's amylase, but um, the, the gorillas have enzymes to break down cellulose in plants and humans don't have that enzyme. And the other thing is They often use chimpanzees as an example, but Jane Goodall's research showed chimpanzees eat meat clearly as plain as a day, but many experts still deny that. But I don't think there's someone more of an expert on (laughs) chimpanzees and gorillas than Jane Goodall. No,
0: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's just like cows and eating grass. We don't eat grass, but cows have four stomachs and they can and they do. And
2: yeah just very different exactly and so you know those stomachs are fermentation chambers and it takes a long time to ferment and i mentioned this but since you brought up stomachs and the digestive tract byron robinson md who who is an was an amazing man he was in the early 1900s he wanted to find out if there was a difference in the digestive tract's between people that lived predominantly on vegetarian diets and people that lived on predominantly meat-eating diets like the Inuit and the Eskimos. And I think he did, if I remember right, it was several hundred dissections, and he measured the length of the entron, which is the digestive tube from mouth to anus. And he found something really phenomenal that very few people are aware of. And he actually dissected the whole digestive system out of the body and then stretched it out and measured it. Well, wow. he showed that people from regions in places like India or inland aboriginals and places where they lived because of a lack of meat availability on largely vegetarian diets had colons and and, and digestive systems that were up to 41 feet long. And in the people that only ate meat, they were as short as 21 feet long. Mm. So what he showed is over time, the entire digestive system Adapted to get longer to allow more time to extract nutrient from plant materials and ferment the plant materials to get more amino acids out of them. And then those that were eating meat didn't need that long digestive tract. So they had a half the size from mouth to anus. So this shows you that the body takes potentially thousands of years to make these adaptations to specific types of diets. And that if you're eating a lot of meat, then the body adapts that way. And if you're eating a lot of plants, the body adapts that way. But it takes generation after generation to do that. So if you take somebody, you know, that's maybe got one parent that, let's call them Hindu, that comes from a region where Mm -hmm. it's largely vegetarian, but you've got somebody, your father is European, you can get a body that needs a mix of both types. So they they shouldn't be on a vegetarian diet and they shouldn't be on a heavy meat diet. They should be on about a 50, 50 ratio of plant to animal foods so that they can feed the requirements of mother and father genetics. And all this requires is somebody paying attention to how their body responds. As I share very clearly in my book, how to eat, move and be healthy. Yeah. Um, Autumn, what are the major problems with our current models of animal agriculture? Like what's happening in the, way that animals are being farmed commercially today that affects not only the quality of the meat, but the nutrient profiles of the meat and other things that you might want to highlight.
0: Yeah. So I have a few. I mean, the first is just, you know, animal welfare issues, right? When we put animals on top of each other and give them, you know, less than a space of a piece of paper to live in. And one of the most interesting things, I know you had Dr. Fred Provenza on your show. I love
2: Fred. I know. Me too. You introduced me to him. He's an awesome guy, man. And and, and I'm sure a lot of people listening already listened to the first episode, but we're going to do, I think, three more to go through his book, Nourishment. And Fred's just, we've got to preserve Fred, man. I think we should put a team of people around him to make sure he lasts forever.
0: I agree. He's one of the kindest and most passionate souls I've met. And I'm so glad you guys Just loved each other like I knew you would. But what I love about his research is that, you know, just like we, just like Paul, you're talking about, we all require different types of nourishment. Animals are the same and they will, you know, self-medicate using food. To overcome illness, to keep themselves healthy, to improve their health, to uh, overcome injury. And when we fix feed them total mixed rations in confinement, right? Just saying, okay, this seems like a good amount of protein fat for you. um, We take that ability away, right? And they end up not feeling great. And sometimes they have liver issues. And then we require antibiotics. And so it's not only just like a space issue for me or the handling issues, which we also know are a problem, but also the fact that they can't feed themselves properly and we'll talk about later when they are able to feed themselves the nutritional profile of the product can actually change in for many in many good ways the second one is environmental concerns so half of the manure or the fertilizer used worldwide is actually manure right animal manure it's very potent it like restores the health of the soil but when we have these highly concentrated systems that people estimate 3 to 20 times the amount of waste is produced In livestock, as it is by people in our country. And then this becomes a liability because there's pathogens in there, there's chemicals, there's whatever they're feeding to the animals. And this creates runoff and it gets into our waterways. And it, you know, along with plant nutrients and fertilizers, it creates pollution, it creates dead zones. There's something called cancer alley, they believe, between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, where cancer rates are skyrocketing, um, all because of, you know, the waste that is coming from these systems. And a lot of times it has to do with manure mismanagement. So also kids living around CAFOs have higher risks of asthma and the workers, I mean, so it gets into the air, it's polluting the air. So pollution is a huge issue. And then we have the additives that we're giving, right? Ractopamine is one of them. It's a beta agonist and it helps them gain muscle more quickly, but it's been banned in 160 different countries and linked to, you know, it it affects the animals detrimentally, but also been linked to, you know, heart palpitations in humans and some poisonings in China. And we also have hormones, right? There's still six hormones being used. At one time, I think there's been 30 that have been approved and we've come down to six that are still being used. And I think it just makes sense to utilize the precautionary principle when it comes to hormones being added. There was a paper out of Puerto Rico that suggested the hormones in animal products might be linked to precocious puberty and so and but the most serious additive i think is antibiotics and 73% of the antibiotics used worldwide are used in animals and you know it kills antibiotic resistance is a very looming real threat we can't just keep coming up with antibiotics if we lose our ability for them to be effective we're in for a rude awakening and so we need to get away from these systems that are using antibiotics not only to prevent illness but also to help animals gain weight And there have been attempts at regulation starting in 2016, but there's still a lot of loopholes, right? So you can't use them for weight gain, but you can say we're just using them to prevent illness and that is still somehow okay. And the last one is the dissolution of our, you know, of our rural communities. It's a social impact. It is the separation Mm -hmm. of ourselves from our food supply and Just for an example, Smithfield is a company out of China. They have tens of thousands of acres that they've bought up in a place like Missouri. And when people aren't involved in their community, making the decisions that directly affect their community, essentially these large corporations are outsourcing their pollution to us. And again, as we talk about, we're very, very vulnerable when no one around you is growing food and we have these highly concentrated and consolidated systems that are working against nature. And so I grew up in a rural community in Montana and I've seen this firsthand. Um, Our, our rural communities are disappearing and it's, it's very, very sad. Um, Our farmers have some of the highest rates of suicide today and the system that they're kind of locked into, it's not sustainable. It doesn't feel good to a lot of them. And um, it's, you know, like I said, destroying the planet and our own health too. And when it comes to the nutrient profile, we'll, we'll talk about this, but as a result of the way we're feeding cows and chickens and pigs, that nutrient profile can change. And so the human health aspect is also a concern in terms of the nutrients, but also, you know, avoiding things like ractopamine and antibiotic residues and and on and on.
2: Yeah. Could you please define what regenerative agriculture is for listeners that don't know? And how is it um, different than currently practiced agriculture and corporate farming? And what are the benefits of regenerative agriculture? I mean, naturally, I'm hip to these, but I think this is very yeah. important for the audience to, to either be reminded of or to, to learn. Yeah.
0: So essentially for the last 10,000 years, we've kind of been living in an extractive relationship with our planet, we're, we're often taking out more than we're putting back in. And, um, you know, different types of agriculture, organic and conventional and regenerative, do this to a, a different extent. But we're at a time when 70% of the carbon in our soil or our soil is basically depleted. And we lose about 30 million acres every single year of farmable land. And what you'll see, there's this fascinating map, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, Paul, A lot of the desertified lands in Mm -hmm. uh, across the world were once our most fertile lands, right? It's people just kind of abuse the land. And so what regenerative agriculture does, a lot of the people I talk to, they say there's three types of agriculture today. Conventional, right, with its fertilizers and its chemicals, and we're working against nature. And then there's sustainable, which a lot of people are thinking, okay, we need to do sustainable agriculture. That's something like organic, right? It's not making the land worse. And, and sometimes it's making it better, but not always because there's still a lot of tillage in organic agriculture, which is one of the most destructive practices. And then there's regenerative. So the reason regenerative agriculture is very different is it because it is Its priority is to improve the ecology, right? Starting with the life in the soil, which we didn't really understand the importance of until very recently. I've even talked to people who went to school for agriculture and they were taught about the chemistry of soil, but not so much the biology. We're now waking up to the incredible importance of this biology. And so, regenerative agriculture is one that takes land and returns it to a more higher and worthy state, essentially working with nature and just creating. And improving the cycles of nature. And And can actually
2: improve and regenerate topsoil
0: that's exactly right yeah there are six principles of regenerative agriculture essentially the first is context right we cannot do the same things everywhere on every farm you really have to be mindful of the context and then we have least disturbance as i talked about tillage it's interesting because we've been tilling land which created the first dust bowl and then some experts believe alan williams talked to me said we're in the midst of the second dust bowl and again that's because we're disturbing the soil with this tillage and disrupting that soil biology but also this disturbance is in terms of pesticides and chemicals and fertilizers. And then we have living roots. We wanna really maximize the amount of roots in the soil because the roots and the plants create exudates that go down into the soil. A create lot aggregates. of them. Yeah, exactly, a lot of them. And this soil structure that we really, really need to prevent erosion and help water holding capacity. And then we have soil armor. A lot of farms today, are growing cash crops and they're only being grown for about a third of the year. And the other time the soil kind of lays bare. And when soil is bare, it's, you know, it can erode. Obviously carbon can be sequestered, but it also kind of gets like a sunburn. And so you always want to have it covered. That's another one of the principles. And then biodiversity is just how do we increase the land or the life in the land. And that often starts underground with the microbes and making sure that the cows are pooping and peeing and they have their saliva. And it's just an explosion of life. Underground creates an explosion of life in terms of the the vegetation. And then more animals, more birds, more pollinators, everything comes back. And animal integration is the last one. A lot of people think that cows and and animals are bad for the land. And in some cases, they absolutely can be when they're allowed to overgraze. Um, And that's another thing. Even in the grass-fed market, sometimes we're talking about continuous grazing, which is very different than a regenerative practice where you will move the animals in a way that mimics these predatory prey cycles, how the ecosystem evolved. And so there is some truth to animal impact being deleterious, but when they're used in these highly managed systems, um, they're actually the very solution that we need. And I just think it's fascinating that most people would tell you that agriculture is only healthy without animals, but animals provide the nutrients with their poop and their pee and their saliva. And then they stimulate grass growth because they're constantly biting at the grass. And then that grass acts like a straw and sucks carbon out of the air and puts it back into the soil. So animals are absolutely critical to the health of ecosystems. That's how the ecosystems evolved. And I think it's one of the big misunderstandings that I want to help people dismember.
2: Yeah, it's very, very important. In my library, Um, I'm trying to remember the title of the book, but it's one of the books on on farming that I've studied. But they showed that the average farming family using commercial and chemical methods destroys 7,000 acres of farmland in the life of that family. Wow. And I've seen maps like you were referring to showing how we're basically growing deserts larger and larger, all of which used to be farmed land. And it's just completely wiped it out. Uh, The other thing, um, one of my favorite books is Science and Agriculture by Arden B. Anderson, who's a unique guy because he's a osteopathic physician, but he's also got a PhD in soil science. Hmm. He actually uh, is a physician, I believe it for the Air Force, working with pilots. But he's also a worldwide uh, consultant on farming. And I've done his course in agriculture. And um, he describes in his book, and by the way, Autumn, for you, he's got one of the most comprehensive sections on soil microorganisms loaded with phenomenal research (laughs) out of Russia that's very seldom ever seen over here. But he shows in there that what we call vitamins are actually plant hormones And he shows that within the rhizosphere or the root space of almost any plant or combination of plants, you can find every hormone produced by the plant that is in the human body.
0: Oh, wow. Fascinating.
2: Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lighthart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new mag breakthrough formula?
3: Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in magnesium breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of Striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so, when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But, sucrosomial was a no brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this, we get more results with less caps. And, That's always the goal for our company.
2: That's excellent. I love it. I I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. This month, Optimizers have a special gift-with-purchase offer. When you buy a three-month supply of Magnesium Breakthrough, you not only save 25%, you also get a free gift of a bottle of Masszymes and a bottle of P3OM. And when you purchase a five-month supply of Magnesium Breakthrough, you save 30% and get free bottles of Masszymes, P3OM, and HLC. An incredible offer, no matter how you slice it. To take advantage of this special offer now, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash living4d. That's magbreakthrough.com forward slash living4d. Enjoy. Now, we've talked about Bill Gates and and some of his typical bullshit. Um (laughs) Can you share what the real research has to say about how the different types of agricultural uh, agriculture affect environmental health?
0: Right. Yes. This is a really fascinating area of research and what a lot of times people are talking about and demonizing animal products is because they're looking at this conventional system, right? You know, that is destroying the planet. And, and so there's been research conducted around regenerative agriculture, which has been really exciting. Dr. Jason Roundtree, Michigan State, I believe he did one piece of research that showed that when you considered the amount of carbon that is sequestered, that an amp grazing system or this rotational grazing system versus a feedlot system was actually able to sequester carbon and yields a, a positive net impact. And then we had uh, Will Harris's analysis down at White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia. And this is my favorite because they looked at the entire life cycle of his animals and then got like a pound per carbon equivalent um, released for every pound of beef produced. And what they found was they actually sequestered 3.5 pounds of carbon for every pound of beef produced. Now wow. I know, which is amazing. It's it's a net positive. Yes. So When you compare that to conventional beef, which is about 33 pounds per pound produced, and then pork, wow. which was about nine, chicken was about two, and um, soy. I'm sorry, soy was about two. He said he knew there was a God when they found that for these meat alternatives beyond meat, um, an impossible burger, they release about 3.5 pounds per pound. In other words, you would have to consume one of his regeneratively raised burgers to offset the emissions of um, their fake meat burger. And so it's really awesome. All of these protein sources and regeneratively raised beef was the only one with a net positive impact. But again, the delta between conventionally raised beef and regeneratively raised beef, it was huge, right? So if we're looking towards a more sustainable closed loop system, I think it's pretty clear that regeneratively raised beef is that uh, the best alternative. And the last piece of research that I wanted to share was um, Robin White did a, an analysis of what would happen if 300 million Americans went vegan. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something bad. Well, yeah, that, that, and, and she was looking through the lens of what would the emissions impact be? And she found emissions would be reduced by about 2.6%, which you know, is, is, is not nothing, but isn't also super dramatic. And we also know that we're never going to get all 300 Americans or million Americans to become vegan. So if we looked at 10%, which is even way more than it is exists right now, it'd be less than, you know, even a half of a percent. But what she did find is that grain consumption would increase dramatically and we would have nutrient deficiencies in things like calcium um, and DHA and her conclusion was too, that we didn't even consider the availability of the nutrients in the feed. And so if we did take that into consideration, we would likely see even more nutrient deficiencies as a result of that diet. And so it's just interesting to me that the the mainstream narrative is loud, that the way forward is absolutely plant-based agriculture, but the nuances in animal agriculture, one can be deleterious, yes, but one is actually the best environmental solution that we have so far. And also we have to remember that in terms of plant agriculture, we can come from this conventional, very destructive system, right? Or it can come from an organic system. And so you have to play into that and prioritize the organic types of agriculture. And the last thing is when we're comparing animal foods to plant foods, a lot of times they're just comparing calories, right? right? Calorie for calorie. That is a very big problem because We need calories from animal products specifically, and they're often a lot more nutrient dense. And so that's just not a fair way to compare.
2: Yes. A couple of things came to my mind. One, we haven't really specifically mentioned this, but probably 90 to a 100% of all the plants that are going to be used for this huge plant-based diet that Bill Gates and crew want to give are all genetically modified. And I've got numerous studies in my library showing that when they fed rats and researched genetic- genetically modified foods of any type, they had organ malformation. They had uh, higher rates of stillbirth and birth defects. They had brain defects. They had digestive tube defects. Um, a lot of stuff that you don't ever re- read about in the public because as usual, they suppress all that stuff. <laughs> um, if you could just go back a little bit You were moving at quite a quick pace. I heard you say that a commercially raised farm animal, it takes, was it 33 pounds of meat for one pound of carbon sequestered?
0: Oh, yes. No, it releases 33 pounds of carbon equivalent for one pound produced.
2: Okay, so it's releasing it into the atmosphere for every one pound of meat produced? Yes. And then the... Free-range animals are doing what? They're getting a net positive.
0: Yeah, the regeneratively raised, at least at this particular farm, was minus 3.5 pounds per pound of meat produced. So it was a net positive impact versus 33 pounds released with the conventionally raised beef. Now, that was a different analysis. That was data from a different database. But his his analysis showed specifically that regeneratively raised beef was a net positive
2: for the environment. Right. Right. So it's not a threat. It's a support to the environment and to the so-called greenhouse effect. Um, Now, tell us what the findings were with plant-based diets and things like the fake meats.
0: Yeah, that was the exact mirror. So it was 3.5 pounds about released for every pound produced, which is why he said you'd have to eat one of his regeneratively raised beef burgers to offset your
2: emissions of a fake meat burger. Explain that one for me. I'm a little lost there.
0: Okay. Yeah. So because every time you eat a plant-based burger, you emit 3.5 pounds of carbon, Right. you will sequester that carbon when you consume his. So if you're looking to come to neutral and to minimize and just create a zero net impact, you would have to eat the burger that stored carbon in addition to the burger, the meat burger, the Beyond Meat Burger that released carbon.
2: Right. And you're referring to eating a regenerative meat yes. burger, not a standard burger. Absolutely. Yes. One of them is from White Oak Pastures. You know, like, isn't it just mind boggling how people are being sold absolute friggin' lies?
0: Amazing, Yeah. And when you say like these meat burgers, you know, not only are they coming from genetically modified crops a lot of times and conventionally raised uh, products, but then they also they've they've had huge um, problems with their claims around protein and whether or not. And then, um, you know, just that they've kind of backed away from the even the case and the argument that they're better for health because I think we can just all agree, even Dr. Provenza and Van Vleet, they did an analysis of the metabolites in grass-fed beef and also plant-based burgers. And he found out 90% of those metabolites are very, very different. And so, yeah, it, it is a bill of lies, essentially. I think that meat alternatives, you know, if you would prioritize organic agriculture and make them in a more responsible way, they could maybe be part of it, right? But yeah. I, I don't think that we could ever say that they're going to be better than a regeneratively raised burger. That's just a flat out lie.
2: You know, what we really need to do, in my opinion, is we need to make farmers heroes. We need to give them the same level of status that doctors have now. We also might be well invested to turn farming into an Olympic sport. And instead of jumping over a bar or, uh, you know, running a certain speed, the quality of the nutrients and the produce you produce and the soil profile and how much topsoil you're regenerating and carbon you're sequestering through natural means would be how we choose the winners.
0: Yes. Are you familiar with the Bionutrient Food Association? No. Okay. So any first things on these farmers, I know a lot of people don't understand this, but these farmers that we work with are experimenters. They are so smart. It's such a creative process and one that you have to, you have to be so adaptable. So I think 100% our farmers are our heroes, but the Bionutrient Food Association, they're actually working on this um, handheld device where you can assess the levels of nutrients in produce so that farmers are then incentivized to create products that have the most nutrient density. They're actually working with us on the beef nutrient density project. Um, but yes, I think you're absolutely right. We need to give them more credit and understand that they literally hold the future in our hands.
2: Are you literally. familiar with the bricks meter? Yes. yes yeah. I yes. have one. I bought one from Phil Callahan, uh, before he died. Are you familiar with Dr. Philip Callahan? I'm not. Tell me about oh, him. Oh, he's a genius. He was one of the, he, probably the first one to figure out what paramagnetism was, Mm -hmm. um he made many many advancements uh he was an expert in soil science and stones he studied the pyramids a lot of stuff but a great book to start is tuning into nature by philip callahan and you might like his book paramagnetism it's a, a little book that explains what paramagnetism and how critical it is to the soil he was the first one to develop a instrument that measures the degree of paramagnetism in the soil which i also have and i've used uh, for a lot of different tests. But his, you know, the BRICS meter is something that will measure the carbohydrate levels in anything. You can go to the store with it. Yeah. And the higher the rating, the more nutrition there usually is in the food. Did you finish answering the last question? I don't want to move to the next one unless you're ready. No, I think I did. Yeah. Well, as we come to the close, what do you feel people can and should do to protect our food supply, our rights to eat as we choose, and maintain sovereignty over our bodies? Our farmland, and what can we do to support the regenerative farmers and companies that support um, that support, uh, you know, bringing us real food, protecting the soil, such as your company, Wild Pastures. I mean, I always tell people, look, the political system is useless. The only vote you have is your money. Whatever yeah. you spend money on, that's your vote. You put money into McDonald's, you're destroying the planet. You buy processed food, you're destroying the planet. You buy commercially raised animals, you're destroying the planet, making yourself sick. As you, know, as you would remember from my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I've got the wheel of life in there and wheel of death. And I show, if you poison the soils, you poison the plants. Poisoned soil and poisoned plants makes for poisoned animals and human beings that eat poisoned animals and plants get sick. And that's exactly where we're at. The whole thing comes from the soil. And I, you know, I've been saying for years, you can't understand nutrition if you don't understand the soil. It's absolutely impossible. And I've had more nutritionists in my classes over the last span of my career. Not one single one of them knew anything about the soil. And I'm like, that's, you can't be a nutritionist if you don't understand the soil because that's the basis of nutrition itself. Fortunately there's more people like you know that are holistic nutritionists but but that's not that recent I mean that's a fairly recent branch of nutrition how old is that branch
0: It's not very old at all I think maybe a decade
2: two decades Yeah I mean yeah. cuz you know there's very few of them out there I have had a couple in my classes and they're much more hip to what I teach because it's already kind of inherent in their mindset um so anyhow what do you think we can do Collectively and even individually, like what's your so- solution uh, to this scenario?
0: Okay, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm going to tell you in one second. I also wanted to give a shout out to um, Dr. Stefan Van Vliet, who is kind of conducting the research that will. And there are you know instances in history where we can validate this, the Rodale Institute, and and other things. But he, what he's looking at first phase is. Do the does the health of the soil impact the health of plants and the health of animals, and then essentially taking it into human clinical trials to say does that matter for inflammation and other health endpoints? So I think really soon that's what we're working on for the dissertation that we'll have a lot more evidence for that. And in order, like, to take control of the food, I say question what you hear in the mainstream. Obviously, you all know that there's yeah. some invisible influences, right, that are um, very invested in you believing certain lies about our food <laughs> and what they'll do for our health. And then, yeah. so listen to podcasts
2: like Paul's. That, that's a problem. They are invested in you believing in certain lies. <laughs> yes. I mean, what, what the fuck has happened to our
0: <laughs> our world? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time. Like we were saying, it's just like a kind of like a, a wave we're riding. It's very interesting.
2: It's the same as corporate religion.
0: It's an investment in certain lies. Right. And then also on the Dietary Guidelines Committee, there was just a paper released showing that 95%, 19 out of 20 of them had at least one tie to either food or pharma, and that about half of them had like 20 ties. Um, so again, even when we're looking at the people creating our dietary guidelines, there's just, there's invested, there's people invested for um, ideological, profit-driven reasons. Second one is just know your farmer and, and be interested in how your food is produced locally. So the best thing you can do is just to understand the area that you're living in, right? Who's yeah. there? What are they doing? How are they doing it? How can you support them? Um, again, just becoming hyper-local, using local resources as often as possible. And the last thing is just like, like Paul was saying, right? Our money, our purchases, that's where our power is. And it can seem overwhelming because it's such, you know, there's so many different things that we uh, need to fix at this point in history. But we, as consumers, as parents, as very conscientious people, we are the ones who will change this market, right? And every time, we are consuming food. We are voting for something, whether or not we are conscious of that. And so, not only buying your food, but the companies that you are supporting. Um, you know, like our company it's based on regenerative agriculture. You know, we're very conscientious. But even beyond food, like just all of your purchases, what kind of practices are you supporting? Um, because you're voting every time body care
2: know. products, hair uh, products. Yes, uh, you know, like the, the the some of the statistics Fred gave on just how much gasoline is spilled from putting gas in lawnmowers. And, and then you've got all the use of, of dangerous chemicals like RAID and glyphosate around houses and lawns and golf courses. I mean, we, we really have to educate the public to realize that there are no shortcuts. You know, there's a great British farmer named Friend Sykes who wrote three books. And he said that... Um, you know, the quality of the produce and the animals is the farmer's report card. And so are the microorganisms in the soil. If a farmer is yeah. doing anything that damages earthworms or microorganisms, they're failing as a farmer. And it always shows up as nutritionally devalued food. And and, and so we've we've got to really get back to the proof is in the pudding. You know, we've got to get back to not only analyzing the soil and the health of the animals or the environment, but we've got to look at what's coming out of the food as a product and analyze it with non-biased scientists that aren't paid by corporations. You know, you got tricks like the FDA that let drug manufacturers do their own research. I mean, if that's just not just as stupid as stupid gets. Hi, everybody. Did you know that Symbiotica now has a new excellent plant-based protein for you? Symbiotica's plant-based protein is a scientifically backed protein powder that fuels your body with essential vitamins and minerals, whole food nutrients, and a full range of amino acids. It features three complete proteins, raw greens, fiber, pre- and probiotics, digestive enzymes, and adaptogenic mushrooms. Crafted with the highest quality of organic ingredients, Symbiotica's plant-based protein is made for all lifestyles and is trusted and used by the world's top athletes. This product is ideal for those living a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle or people like me that like to give their body a rest from flesh foods and detox once in a while while being able to still get enough protein to meet your needs, even if you're athletic. For those of you wanting to deepen your meditation, enhance your subtle energy perception and voyances such as clairvoyance, try taking two to three weeks off of flesh foods and use Symbiotica's plant-based protein supplement Drink lots of clean water, sauna regularly, avoid recreational drugs, and you'll be amazed at what happens. You'll feel like you've been super tuned to great spirit in the cosmos and your body will love you too. Symbiotica's plant-based protein boosts energy and recovery, promotes gut health, and offers you 20 grams of protein per scoop. To get your Symbiotica plant-based protein, go to bit.ly forward slash symbiotica.com. L number 4D. That's B I T dot L Y forward slash Symbiotica L 4D. To get your discount, use the promo code L 4D 15 for 15% off. That may be case sensitive, so make it all caps. That's capital L number 4, capital D 15 for 15 off Symbiotica's excellent plant based protein powder. One of the things I tell my students and people in lectures all the time that's very relevant to what we're talking about, I say, if if I was in a position in government to implement a law, the first law I would pass is that all nutrition educators, health educators, medical professionals, and exercise educators have to teach in their underwear so (laughs) that everybody can see the results of what they're teaching.
0: I think that's genius
2: <laughs> i think you know what there's yeah. nothing like evidence right and, and i i think we got to get rid of all the garb and all the white jackets and all the cover-ups and you know you can't teach what you don't have so if you're teaching nutrition but you don't have health if you're a medical doctor and you don't have health then it should be everybody's right to ask you to get undressed before they hire you so they can see the <laughs> results of your program <laughs> i like it yeah it's it's simple but heard. isn't it, it isn't is. it the best screening system there is it's absolutely profound
0: and you heard a uh, joe rogan kind of saying you know what you're saying about um bill gates essentially
2: yeah thank god he is saying that <laughs> Well, Autumn, as a mother, holistic nutritionist, food producer, businesswoman, and educator, what key message would you like to offer all parents in the world today so that they can be healthy, support real farmers, support their kids, protect the health of their children and family?
0: Yeah, I think where my passion lies is just helping people understand that we are at a time in history where the nutrient content Of our soil and our food is lower than ever, and right, and even in developed countries, we are suffering from nutrient deficiencies. So, removing one of the most nutrient-dense foods in the diet and replacing it with more plant-based processed products is just—it's not a great move. And so, I know we're all really interested in improving animal welfare and improving the healthy environment and, of course, improving human health. So just like we've been told to upgrade our cars, right? We're not being told don't drive anymore because our transportation sector contributes to greenhouse gases. We're being told to upgrade our cars. I think the same can be said for our meat, right? As we learned, conventionally raised- beef and animal products they can be environmentally destructive but when they're raised regeneratively they can be the absolute solution that we need to improve the health of ecosystems and restore the health of our soil and like paul and i were just saying farmers are the heroes they are absolutely the heroes in this story they hold the future in our hands and they can't take risks that we can't, if we can't meet them on the other side. And so it's just really important to kind of understand some people have estimated we only have a few years of topsoil left. Some people say 60. It isn't a very, very well validated metric. But so it is up to us to make the kinds of decisions that will make future generations proud. And I think there's a lot of ways we can do it, but just simply upgrading our meat is, is
2: one of the simplest. Well, just because you mentioned upgrading our cars, that's another big fallacy because they keep telling everybody you got to buy an electric car, but they don't tell you that when you plug the damn thing in, the power plant that's charging your batteries is burning coal, for Christ's sakes. So it's just another freaking game.
0: Yeah. it's. I mean, it's so funny, right? There's just going to be so many of these nuances that we're going to have to understand. But I think one thing we can always be sure of is that mother nature knows what she's doing. She's like a horse behind a gate and we just need to remove our interference. Human interference, it's finite, right? If we just allow mother nature to take the reins, we're always going to be headed in the right direction. And I think
2: that's exactly why regenerative agriculture is so important. Well, you said it's so funny. And a lot of these things are so funny, but they're only funny because they're (laughs) stupid. And the the problem is, is that if you get the punchline of this joke, it means you're going to laugh yourself to death, literally. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's a problem. But anyhow, Autumn, I'd I'd like to say thank you for all the love and wisdom you share with the world. I'm super excited for your docu-series. And again, I want to thank Paleo Valley and your team for all your excellent products and sponsoring the podcast. I, I absolutely love the products you guys produce. My kids love them. My family. love I've never turned anybody onto Paleo Valley that hasn't thanked me, or mm. said something positive, or said, "Wow, these meat sticks!" Like, my, I've, I've got a, we've got a, a young man who's a Czech professional that lives with us, and he helps us on the farm and does all sorts of stuff. He's a great guy, Justin Irani, and uh, he'll he'll go out and work and he'll take, you know, he can live off your meat sticks. He's like, oh, you know, I, I just <laughs> had meat sticks for lunch or whatever. We always giggle, but I always laugh. I wish Autumn was here to hear this. <laughs> and I've had sense. many people tell me that they can just eat them as a meal. And, 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 you know, they're, it's very rare to get fermented meat like that too. It's lovely flavor. You might know, I, taste the nutrition, like, you know, you can really feel it. It's, I think everybody listening should try some Paleo Valley meat sticks because you haven't really tasted the nutrition and meat till you've tried a good fermented meat like that. It's, it's, you know, fermentation, as you know, it adds a lot of nutrition, the, the yeah. microorganisms. So it, it's, it's takes food to a whole new level. So um, why don't you share any websites, products, services, or any, any other information you'd like to close with today?
0: Yeah. Well, paleo Valley, we create food products and uh, some whole food supplements. Honestly, I can say, <laughs> Without a doubt, your influence and what I learned from you was the reason that we went the route that we did and prioritized um, whole I'm grateful that I could
2: support that.
0: Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so you can get the meat sticks there. The world record, I've never heard anyone eat more than 12 in a row, but that is that is the world record there. And you're wow. right. I know it's a lot of meat sticks and we come in all the different flavors. We have a really delicious chocolate bone broth. That's our new product and a super food golden milk. I think those are our most popular new
2: products. And then we have Wild Pastures, the meat delivery service we were talking about where we... Right. That's important. Now, uh, now you you guys are... Were you going to offer some kind of a special for that? I, I remember talking to Shauna, but I forgot the details of it.
0: Um, 20% off for life and 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Okay. 20% so I can off say that. for
2: life. Well, that's a hell of a good deal.
0: That's a 15... great deal. And then I, I'm going to follow it up with something if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Okay. So just say Wild Pastures is a company that we created because every time we told people to choose regeneratively raised meat, they thought it was too expensive or they didn't know where to find it. And so we partnered with regenerative farmers and we keep the cost way down because we don't think it should be an elitist thing we need everybody to be able to access it in order to transform the food markets or the meat industry so it's 40% less than other meat delivery services already wow. and then for your audience we're going to give you 20% off for life plus 15% or $15 off the first order and free
2: shipping okay now what's the distribution range how like who on this podcast I mean, we got people listening in Siberia, Australia, Uh, New Zealand, Canada, all over the place. So what's your range of distribution just so you don't get a bunch of frustrated customers (laughs) trying to order from Siberia or something?
0: Yeah, that's really important. So this is in the United States only for right now.
2: Okay, are you trying to branch out of the United States?
0: Yeah, that's my ultimate goal, absolutely. Good. Right now we're working with, you know, farmers here, we're creating co-ops and helping farmers to transition to regenerative methods, but yeah, ideally, you know, we want to take that outside the United States. But the thing that makes us different too is that um, we are ensuring that they're all regenerative. A lot of times these grass-fed meat delivery services come from other countries, right? Yes. Because they have higher standards. And so we really want to give American farmers the chance to rehabilitate our soil and just to have really great paying jobs and just a a fulfilling life.
2: Yes. And what are the meats available through wild pastures? What different types of meat have you got on board?
0: So we have chicken and pork and um, fish and of course beef. And you get to customize your own boxes. There's 15 and 25 pound boxes and you can kind of choose the different cuts that you want. And then it just, it's delivered straight to your door and um,
2: convenience. Okay. I didn't know you had fish. I'm assuming it must be wild caught.
0: Yes. Yes. Fantastic. So
2: what have you got salmon or what's your options there?
0: Yep. Salmon and cod.
2: Very good. What a beautiful opportunity. I mean, to be able to get that quality of meat at reasonable prices is a big savings. You know, one of the people, things that stops people from buying real organic food is they complain about the price of it. But I've looked at several feeding studies on animals and human beings, and I'm sure you have too. But on average, they showed that anyone consuming real organic food reaches satiation about thirty with about 30% less food. So, yes. and uh, Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, well, you know, so when you add that up, you're actually not only getting more. The reason you're reaching satiation sooner is because you're getting the nutrients your body's looking for. So the body says, okay, I've had enough you know, the analogy I give my students is, you know, you'd have to eat 20 loaves of white bread to get any nutrition at all. And so people just keep eating and eating and eating because the body's actually looking for what it needs to keep you alive. But when you're eating high quality meats raised like this, you might not only, they might cost you a little more in many places, but the reality of it is, is you're actually not having to spend as much on food. And I've had many of my patients come back to me and say, you know, since I started following your advice for organic food, my kids aren't eating very much. And I'm like, are they feeling satiated? Yes. Well, then they're doing good. They just don't need as much. (laughs) They're used to eating empty food. That's why they had to eat so much.
0: It's so true. And my my son is a perfect example of that. And also Fred Provenza, who we just talked about, that's one of his main areas. He's very interested in those phytonutrient compounds, which we don't often talk about showing up in animal products, but they do when they're raised regeneratively on healthy soil and their role in, like you were saying, satiety and the other pieces. Yes. And if you're going to invest in food, that you not only eat less, but you also prevent a lot of different health conditions. They've done research to show conventionally raised beef and um, wild meat actually resulted in different, like higher levels of inflammation in the body when it was raised conventionally. So
2: yes. Great. What a phenomenal podcast. I don't know how you managed to get all that information in (laughs) so fast. Oh, can I mention
0: one other thing too? Yeah. So wild pastures burger company. So We are trying to just meet consumers wherever they are. And so it's a fast, casual burger place that is completely, it is um, all regeneratively raised meat. It's from- And and this is another thing we're really passionate about is using the entire animal. And we had a lot of ground beef that we needed to use. And we take the bones from our animals and we put them into our bone broth product and the organs into our organs complex product. But the other cool thing about Wild Pastures Burgers is there's no sugar in the whole place and all the sauces are homemade and we cook our French fries in tallow. They are organic. And so it's just, it's, it's a fast, casual restaurant that prioritizes health. And it's only in Boulder right now but we
2: hopefully will be expanding soon. Well, one one thing you forgot to give is the the URL, the web address for people. And if, if there's anything they have to say to get their Living 4D discount.
0: Yes, I'm sorry. That is at wildpastures.com slash paulcheck.
2: Wildpastures.com forward slash paulcheck. Oh, that's easy. You guys can remember that's that. Easy. Remember it's <laughs> C-H-E-K, not C-K. I've tried to cash myself in, but no one will take me. But anyhow, what a great gift. And, and if you really want to upgrade the nutrition for your family, your kids and increase brain power, regenerative ability, rest recovery from health, stress and exercise, restore nutrients that are lost, get some quality fat in you, get some quality proteins in you, and ultimately get satiated sooner and invest in our soils, then take advantage of wild pastures because nobody that i know of anywhere has ever made such high quality meats available at such reasonable prices i imagine that you you had to go for you had to set a network up to get a fairly decent amount of volume and so the farmers could actually make money doing this
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and that's the cool thing about having, you know, our parent company, Paleo Valley, and just having them understand the value of this type of meat. And so we could come to the farmers and tell them that they had a certain amount of volume. And then we have other things that we do to keep costs really low. Like we were saying, whole animal utilization, yes. using different products and different things. And then we also have these really capable teams. So we run both companies kind of with the same team. Um, and, you know, you're using, you know, electric vehicles where we can, solar powered facilities where we can, local deliveries, really focusing on local deliveries whenever possible. So, right. yeah, it is a constant dance.
2: It, <laughs> that, our- yeah, you got you got a lot of irons in the fire. Take Make sure you take care of yourself so I don't <laughs> have to fly to Colorado and rehabilitate you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, at the end of this year, I'm, I'm going to start on that new trajectory because the dissertation will be done. All the businesses are up and running, docu-series done, and then all relaxation.
2: <laughs> yeah, very, very good. <laughs> you've, you've earned some rest. Well, I'd like to close by saying thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for being part of the change that we need in the world right now. You know, it all starts with us. This is a bottom-up transition. We've learned the hard way. We cannot trust top-down transitions. Unless what you're looking for is more piracy and death and destruction of the planet. So we got to do this bottom up. We're in a world transition and you got one of two choices. Be proactive, make the world what you want it to be and get everybody involved or end up in an electronic jail eating uh, GMO plant poison and insects that are also going to be GMO garbage. And so uh, thank you to all my sponsors and thanks for everything you guys buy from the sponsors. A little commission goes to the podcast so that I can do the work and spend the time to do the research and find amazing guests like Autumn. So lots of love to all of you. I'll be back next week with something exciting and interesting. And uh, hopefully you're looking forward to that, too. Lots of love. Thank you, Autumn.
0: Thank you, Paul. Such an honor every time. Thank you for listening to
1: Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest and sponsor of the podcast, Autumn Smith. You can visit the Paleo Valley website at paleovalley.com and get 15% off your order using the promo code CHECK15. That's C H E K 1 5. You can find Paleo Valley on Facebook and Instagram at Paleo Valley. Wild Pastures is offering Paul's listeners their best offer yet. Go to wildpastures.com forward slash paulcheck to get 20% off for life plus 15% off your first order and free shipping. You can find Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4dwithpaulcheck. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at czechinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at czechinstitute.com. Forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast.